Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition and episode of the show. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, and I am excited to be with you today. Uh, one of the things we really like to do at Ramos Law is we like to give people a sense of what it's like to not only work here, but the people that work here. And so one of our favorite things to do in, in any kind of podcast and interview session is to get with our team and talk with them about who they are, what they're all about, what makes them tick, and that kind of thing. And it gives folks an insight into how things work around here at the law firm. So today, I have such a unique, wonderful, beautiful soul and character. Um, and I'm only going to call her Julia because here her name is Julia, but the way she spells it is J-E-W-E-L-I-A by her choice. And it is just so remarkable. And it does describe Julia perfectly to us. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join me. Oh, thank you so much, Jim. Absolutely my pleasure. All right. Well, let's get to it so that people can start understanding a little bit more about you and, and the special person that you are. Um, we have had the chance together uh, to work together now for several months. And I got to say, one thing that just really struck me from the very, very moment we met was your contagious energy. Um, I think if I were to describe you as for someone who's never seen you or, or doesn't know you, the best way I could describe you, Julia, would be like one of those people that is a mix between someone from uh, The Sound of Music and from uh, a sitcom that you just <laughs> have that really dynamic, effervescent, ready to, to sing or dance at any moment personality. Have you always been that way or is that something that you developed over time? I have actually always been that way. I have, you know, as the youngest of nine children, you're always looking for a way to stand out, right? To, to get the attention. And for me, you know, growing up, they called me a ham. I was, you know, always uh, dancing around the living room, dancing with my dad, singing. I uh, took tap dance lessons. I did musical theater all through high school. And it, for me, that act of singing and dancing, it just, it brings me joy. And, you know, on Fridays, I always listen to disco music at work because it makes me want to dance. And how can you not be happy when you're dancing, right? That is so true. That is and yesterday. Yesterday, actually, I was listening to uh, my Billie Holiday station at the office and taught, taught Ian how to jitterbug. <laughs> <laughs> Little Billie Holiday. <laughs> Never go yeah. wrong with that. So right. I'm really interested, nine children, uh, where did you grow up and where were you in the nine and how was it being part of that pack, especially with your personality? I would imagine that that served you well in that sort of a, in that sort of a in environment with that many kids. Exactly. I, I actually grew up here in Denver. Uh, the neighborhood is called Montclair. So it's near uh, where Lowry Air Force Base is when it was actually an Air Force Base. Um, I could see the Rick Topping Castle from my backyard. And so I think that inspired my early love of history, of wanting to know who lived there and what they were about. Um, but as the youngest of nine, you know, I'm, they, I have uh, five older sisters and three older brothers. And when you're at that bottom, position they all say you're spoiled they all say you get away with everything and that's partially true but it was also a phenomenal learning opportunity um, because i could 
pick out different characteristics and traits from my older siblings and think, that's pretty cool. I think I want to emulate that and be like that. Or, holy cow, I think that's messed up. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they talk so, in ways. <laughs> a little bit of everything, yeah. Would you, you say know, I was always the gopher. I'm sorry to interrupt there. I, I, I got to ask this, though. Would you say that your personality is um, really unique among your siblings or your parents? Or did you, by amalgamating this, do you see some of who you are uh, most aligned or akin to some of your siblings? No, I am absolutely positively unique. Um, I was the one, you know, as I got older, I was the one who always made sure that everybody knew who everybody's birthday was. I was the one who made sure we always got together to celebrate. Um, I was the one always telling jokes, you know, always trying to make everybody else laugh and just sort of have a good time. Um, there are definitely traits that I learned from each of them. My sister Roseanne was a phenomenal athlete. And so I played sports all through school. And what I learned from that is that when you play with someone or do something with someone who is better than you, you get better. I would not have had the skill I had if I hadn't been playing with someone, you know, who would pummel me. <laughs> and, you know, she, yeah, and that's kind of how I've approached life is that clients, colleagues, friends, people walking down the street, everybody can teach us something. I love that. I love that. Uh, before we delve into that, what sports did you play? Did you, were you a multi-sport athlete or did you focus yes, on Yes, yes, beginning in fourth grade. Uh, my sister and I played volleyball, basketball, and softball. Wow. And did you yeah. Yeah, it was so much fun, too, because with softball, she was a catcher and I was second base. And so we would practice together, and we were unstoppable getting people out at home plate, you know? Wow. That's the best. Was softball your favorite? It was. Very cool. Very cool. You know, interestingly enough, um, having grown up as an athlete, I took a lot from that and I still remember a lot of those concepts about forming my personality in, in part of, I mean, you, we are who we are, right? Starting about between five and seven, we're, we are really consistent and then it's minor changes typically for most people, unless something crazy happens in their life. But you see, we're like you say, you're either the, the life of the party, making everyone feel good, keeping everyone involved, or you might be the alpha dominant, or you might be just the, the silent glue behind the, the scenes, but you're kind of who you are. But boy, when, when I'm really interested to stay on this family thing, because for me, I was an only child. And so my, oh my, goodness. Yeah, my extended me. family, <laughs> it was my team. It was my football team. It was my tennis team. It was whatever yeah. team that I happened to be on. And so I learned so much about hard work and connection and, and, you know, being a part of something bigger than myself and sacrificing to that end and not quitting I learned a lot of that from team sports. So for you, what you just said, your connection to softball and the other sports, did that, did you get a lot from family that took into sports? Did you learn different things from sports that, that helped uh, refine your personality? How would you describe that dynamic? Well, I believe that I took a lot from family and learning about being a team player there into the sport. Um, in addition to, you know, my eight older siblings, I have two nephews. Uh, one is one year older than I am, Jeffrey, and his brother Eric is three months younger. And so really it was this gang of four, 
you know, Roseanne, Jeffrey, Julia, and Eric. And they were all far more physical. Um, I had to learn that physicality in doing sports. And so, you know, with because I tended, when I was really little, I was a girly girl. You know, I still love putting on dresses, but I also love hanging sheetrock and taping <laughs> and mudding and building things. And, you know, but I think that I learned from that core group, from that family dynamic, that if one of us succeeds, we all succeed. If one of us fails, we all fail. And so it's not always about being out there in front and, and taking the three-point shot. It's about passing the ball to someone who's open. Mm. It's about being aware of your the situation and what's going on around you and uh, how you can lift other people up to help them succeed. Because then, in turn, you are succeeding, right? That's so beautiful, Julie. I love that. And, and that's so much what we try to foster here at the law firm in, in our culture of, of helping each other grow while we help, you know, do our jobs. And so from that perspective, you've gone through your, you know, your middle school, high school years, and, and then you all of a sudden decide, you know, life needs to make a change. You grow, you move on. When your next step, I know you've been in the legal field for a long time. Did you go right from high school to law, or did you go into some sort of college program? How, how did your... No, no. So I actually uh, had a baby when I was 18. Okay. And yep. that was not planned, obviously. <laughs> um, but what I took from that was, because, you know, then all my friends are going off to college, and I'm not going with them. And so what I took from that was determination you know a lot of people said you're too young you really can't raise this child and you know i'm half irish and half french and that's when the irish kicked in and said oh yeah watch me mm-hmm. <laughs> and that child is now megan's 35 she has her master's in social work and administers part of the foster care program for denver county wow um, yeah so i took from that you know being such a young mother determination uh, resilience. I am going to prove the world wrong. I'm, you know, I'm going to shine. And so I started college um, when I was, I got engaged and moved to Fort Collins because that's where my fiance was. And I started at CSU part-time when I was 23. I was uh, working full-time, going to school part-time, being a wife, being a mom, maintaining a home. Um, and it took me nine years <laughs> to get my degree, but I did it and I did it really well. You know, I, I graduated with honors. I was inducted into Phi Beta Kappa. And when people would ask me what that meant, I said, uh, it just means I'm really smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing was I majored in history and people would say, well, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that degree? And my answer was always, I'm going to be a really smart mom <laughs> because shared knowledge is power, right? Anything I learned, I was passing on to my kids. And I was, you know, a liberal arts degree encourages you to think critically. So sometimes they'd get a little upset with me when I was helping them with their homework because I'm trying to get them to see the connections, the bigger pictures. And I was like, Mom, would you just tell me the answer? <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me all the background. Tell me the right, answer. Right. 
And so while I was going to college, I needed a job. Um, when right after I had Megan when I was 18, I had started working in the nonprofit world in the development office for an agency that provided housing and child parent education for low-income single parent families. And so for me that I've always been caring, I've always been giving, I've always wanted to help anyway, anyone in any way that I could. But in that position, I just really, it, it, it really pulled me in, this idea that it doesn't matter, you know, I'm a, if I was a single mom with a, with a baby, um, but I still have something to give other people. You know, it doesn't matter what you perceive that you have or don't have. There's always, even if it's a smile, you know, kindness is free. You can be kind to anybody and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, but that really hooked me into this idea of I have talents and gifts that I can give to help other people. So when I started college, I got a job as a legal secretary. Um, so I have never had any formal uh, paralegal training. I've just been doing it for 30 years, you know, on the job, learning from the attorneys. You know, one of the attorneys in Fort Collins that I worked for for 15 years uh, handed me the rule book, CRCP rules, you know, Rule 16 Government Litigation. Uh, and he handed me the book and said, learn that and draft my disclosures. Take a stab at that. And with my background in liberal arts, I write really well, I edit really well. And so from there it was, you know, off to the races. And it was always, almost always personal injury and workers' compensation. Yeah. Um, and did you, Julie, I gotta ask you on, on that note, when you started getting this, your mind, so you've got this incredible work ethic and there's a persistence because for you to, to go through that going for year upon year, you weren't on the four year plan, right? You were kind of on the double that plan. You're seeing yeah. full time. So there's, well, there's persistence there when it came to law. So you got this liberal arts side, you've got the dancing and singing, you've got the right brain all going. Now law is a left brain practice that you're now using your right brain skills to, to bring experience to the matter. How was that conversion for you? Was was learning it from the attorneys and the people that you work with, did it come naturally or was that a little more difficult because of the, the process learning as opposed to the kind of kinesthetic learning? No, it was seamless. Um, I'm very much a hands-on learner. That's, mm -hmm. that's really how I do things. You know, when I started here at Ramos and uh, someone was teaching me how to do the billing, they showed me once and, and she said, do you want me to show you again? I said, no, let me drive. <laughs> I need to do it to know it, you know? Um, and so I just, I think part, just part of my personality, um, I've always been a really good problem solver and very, very logical, which surprises me because I don't ever really think of myself as logical. Um, but when I took the GREs for graduate school, uh, my intention was to go into academia, but I loved law too much. But when I took the GREs, I scored one standard deviation above the mean on the logic section. And I don't really know what that means, but my ex-husband said it was a good one. Oh, that's beautiful. And he didn't believe me when I told him I guessed on everything in that section. <laughs> that's great. That's yeah, so for me, it was really very seamless. I, 
and I'm passionate about litigation. I'm passionate about getting in there. It for me, it always feels like David versus Goliath. You know, and we're helping David. Absolutely. Yeah. And so now, as you're as you're going through that now, so now you find yourself at here at Ramos Law, and you've been doing such a great job. You just bring such an infusion of passion and energy in everything that you do. Share with the, the folks listening kind of what you do here um, for the firm. And the you know I know that you work with Colleen and, and some of the things that you're doing there. Just give folks a sense of what you do and what that really means. So your job title and what that means in the course of a normal day for Miss Julia. Sure. Well, I am a litigation paralegal. I primarily support Colleen um, because I have this mixed background of you know, a lot of personal injury and workers' compensation, but I also have a background in employment law and criminal defense. So I help Colleen with the employment law side. Um, we have several personal injury cases, but then uh, there are other cases in the firm uh, that some of the attorneys need help on a, a purely on a criminal defense matter. And so I'm always, always happy to help out with that. Um, there is no typical day for Julia, <laughs> and, and that's one thing you learn in litigation is you have to be flexible, you have to be on your toes. Um, so once someone's case gets to the litigation point, what that means is that uh, for whatever reason, and it's usually because the other side is being unreasonable, uh, we were unable to settle their case, so we have to file a lawsuit. Uh, so for me, what that means is, at that point, I dive into the file, I go through the records, I read the records, um, I have a medical dictionary bookmarked on my uh, browser because if I come across any word I don't know or a term, I always look it up because I need to understand. But, you know, I need to understand what these injuries are and how they've affected our clients in order to do the very best job I can possibly do. Mm, yeah. So once the case comes to us, I draft the complaints uh, for Colleen to review. Um, I draft what's called our initial disclosures, which we have to tell the other side all of our witnesses and all of our documents. And uh, so part of that is, you know, calling the client and introducing myself. And, um, you know, I'm not always privy to what anyone else may have told them. So I always want them to, I ask them, you know, how do you feel about this process? Do you understand? Um, and I kind of, I see my role as an educator, really. I'm educating the client as to here's the process, uh, making sure they know that we are always, always available uh, with any questions because it doesn't matter how severe or uh, what an insurance company would consider, you know, a low impact accident is, it is life changing. From that point forward, there's always your life before the accident and your life after the accident. And so my job with the client is educator, therapist, a lot of reflective listening, uh, you know, helping people. Sometimes they just need someone to talk to, to vent about anything and and our clients know that they can call us for 
any question they have, whether it's related to the case or not, we are a resource. You know, so trying to find a, a, a referral for something else, you know. Right, yeah, we do that a lot. We do that a lot. Yeah, we are, we are here. And right. You said something I, super important that I right. up on you there, but one thing that I think that um, you said that was really important for, for me is, is the desire that you have to continue learning. You know, you talked about having the medical dictionary by mm -hmm. marked on your deal and, and also working here with Dr. Ramos and myself and, you know, even Dr. Emerson, some of the resources that you have that you'll go to to ask for, hey, you know, what's this mean and what's that mean? I, I see in you such you know, just this constant ability to, to be better, not only so that you can get better, but also so that you can serve better. Do you, do you feel that that's something that you've carried through your life? And is that, is that part of you growing as you go? Or is it a thing that you're like, now you're just trying to refine certain areas? How, how do you go about your personal growth process? I am always growing. We are always growing, right? Um, if you're not growing, you're dead. <laughs> so you want to always be, for me personally, um, my growth process comes so much from so many different resources because I learn from the clients. You know, for example, if they have a landscaping business, I'll learn about the landscaping business because I have to know how these injuries have affected their ability to do their daily work. So I have to have a good understanding of what that daily work is. Um, I also grow tremendously through my colleagues here at Ramos Law. You know, you mentioned, you know, you and Joe, and you both are uh, phenomenal human beings. And <laughs> because you. you guys are at the top, it comes down into the firm. And, you know, having been around as long as I've been around, Jim, I've been doing this 30 years, I can tell you this is far and away the best law firm I have ever worked for. And the source of that is you and Joe and the people at the top and how that comes down to us. And it's because you imbue in all of us this deep sense of caring, caring for ourselves, caring for others, uh, and I learn, and I can learn so much from everybody there, and I do. And so that's a big part of my growth process too. Is that I fully recognize that for the first time in my life, I'm a part of a team again. Wow. You know, there, there have been missteps along the way. There have been events. You know, all of my older siblings have died starting in 1989, except for one brother, and so. You take from those things and you learn and you grow and, you know, there's always that sense of loss, which I've decided to reframe because language to me is very important. I, I view it more as change. Um, and that's sort of like with an accident. I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't like the word loss. It's that I think change, at least for me, viewing it as change is more helpful. Julia, I, I got to ask right there. Um, I did not know that that you had that much. Let's use your word here. Change with respect to your siblings being here and then not being here. Did your philosophy going from loss to change or or grief to transformation maybe did that occur because you you experienced 
you had a big family and as you started experiencing more and more of that, you were forced into that or was that something that you had early on in, in the process when, when maybe the, the first um, of your siblings had, had passed? How did that develop? Because that is a really unique perspective on it, especially given the quantity, the sheer quantity of, of death of people passing mm-hmm. before you. I, I'm really intrigued by that. Well, it definitely was not there in the beginning. Um, but then it, it, like every five, seven, ten years, someone else would die. And it was just always very ra- random, you know, epilepsy or a heart problem or, you know, skin cancer or, you know, just physical things throughout time. And so early on, um, I think it was after I lost, so I lost my sister Rosie, and that was the hardest one. She was only two years older than I am, and she died when she was 25. Uh, she was epileptic and had a seizure um, and hit her head in the shower. But as more and more of them transitioned and, you know, uh, went to help me from other places, for me, that's when it hit me that they're gone. Well, sort of. But I'm still here. I am still on this side of the grass. And so how do I honor their legacy? I, I live, I do my best to wake up every single day with an attitude of gratitude. And it doesn't happen every day. It's sometimes it's work. <laughs> you know, sometimes you kind of get lost in that, oh, I didn't get enough sleep or whatever. Um, but it's a conscious effort every single day to recognize that I have so much to be grateful for, not least of all this firm, this family, this um, amazing phenomenon, because we are more than a law firm. We truly are a team. We truly are a family. We truly, truly support one another, uh, both in our work and and personally. Um, So it, it definitely has been really the grace of God that led me to how I approach life now. Well, it's so mature and it's so beautiful. I mean, as I'm listening to you talk, I hope that the people on the other side of this conversation are getting as much of, of this as I am, because really it's, it's so much about you taking you into everything you do and, and me taking me and everybody, we take ourselves Mm-hmm. events of our day and the more that we're intentional about how we're going to look at it how we're going to approach it how we're going to tackle it the words we use the vocabulary just like what you're saying man it's literally life transformational julian this is so it's just so fantastic to me that i, I want to do this follow-up question so now you've got this incredible connection with your with your work family you've you've still got connection with your siblings in in your your family and that you're the living expression the living legacy of them what other ways now do you um, express your your joy and your connection to life what do you like to do when you're not working and and how does that play a part in your regular development i love to educate i you know when i was getting my degree i thought i would go on and be a teacher and actually you know i was raised catholic and when i was six I said I wanted to grow up to be a nun so that I could teach. I thought you had to be a nun to teach. So (laughs) um, that very young mind. But what I do outside of work is 
I love to uh, take my girls, my children, they're 35 and 23, and take them and their friends to various museums. Um, because going to a museum with me is sort of a different experience. And so, you know, it's always about, okay, so here's a Colorado History Museum, here's a wagon. Okay, well, so imagine you're wearing all these clothes and heavy boots and you're not riding in that wagon, you're walking next to that wagon for a thousand miles. And, you know, try to bring everything alive, try to make everything for them not just something that happened a long time ago. I want so, to go to the zoo. I, the zoo. I want to go to the museum with you, Julia. I, I want the tour. Yes. Well, I love the zoo too. Um, I love outside of work. I love. I have three dogs now, um, and so I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, my husband and I are remodeling our house by ourselves, and so that's been a learning process. But again bring a challenge let me learn something new you know so yeah i i just um i have a lot of friends that I, we play scrabble <laughs> which we just you know one time we were so happy because we used every single tile <laughs> so i love to read any i'm a voracious reader anything and everything um Historic fiction, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Louise Hay, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. I, I, you know, having been raised Catholic, I don't consider myself Catholic. Um, I consider myself spiritual, and mm -hmm. so I like to. I don't. I don't believe that spirituality or religion should be exclusive. You know, I don't believe that you can only have these certain views. I believe that there are as many paths to god as there are people on the earth and so why not take that knowledge and learn from these other sources wow. so that's a big part of my development too is you know what i take from that. yes yes and so let me ask you this with you being a history major do you have a favorite portion of history either something that you just feel was incredibly you are connected with personally or a, a point in time in history where you're like, this was the big wake up call for humanities or is there any part of all your history knowledge that you say, this part sticks out to me because? Absolutely. And it was a newer area of study when I was in my like 98, 99, and it's called environmental history. And for me, that stands out because it shows how interconnected every single thing really is. Uh, it looks at the landscape, the geography, the flora, the fauna, um, as an active player in shaping historic events. So I actually did start my master's degree, uh, but then my youngest daughter was eight and wanted her mom full time. And I just thought, why am I doing this now? She's right. right. <laughs> so but I started my master's doing environmental history and I was doing a historic study of the Sand Creek Massacre site, which was, uh, an event that happened out on the plains in Colorado near East. They were turning it into a national park. And so basically what I was doing was going down there and you know, walking barefoot in on the ground and looking at the landscape and seeing and studying and reading journals and archives of how did the shape of the land either help people escape 
you know, hiding under the banks of the rivers, hiding in the trunks of dead cottonwood trees. Um, what, I think one of the easiest ways for people to understand it is, especially if you're here in Colorado, uh, when you're driving in the mountains on a highway, chances are pretty high that there is a river either on your right or your left, or you're going over it and coming back to it. And the reason for that is the rivers were the original highways. And so then our modern landscape was shaped by where those rivers flowed, right? That's fantastic. Yeah. What people ate. It influenced what they, you know, built their house out of. You know, on the plains, there were no trees. So you made bricks out of sod or you dug a hole in the side of a hill and it's amazing because you'll see it from the outside and it's you know this hill with a door and it's dirt and grass and you open it and they have it looks like a furnished victorian home you know they put up wallpaper and you know packed down the dirt on the floor and had all their furniture in there so for me environmental history shows how we are connected to the land we are not above it or below it we are part of it we are all part of the same system um as well you know the people we're we're all connected and i think that's why it's so important to me that we be kind to one another because oh. you never know what someone else is going through but you know we're connected that is beautiful not at all what i expected and of course you had no idea any of these questions were coming <laughs> blew my mind with that answer that is great and i think as we um Kind of bring this in for a landing you've given people such a great idea of who you are and and i i hope that their heart is as warm as mine is right now after just listening to this amazing story i, I would like to ask you this we are we are doing this recording now you know when people may play it is it could be in 20 years from now but for right now we're in the middle of the COVID 19 era world pandemic from this crazy silly virus and I'm interested to see, have you had any insights, new habits, uh, new takes on things that you didn't have before? And, and you may not because you have such an engaging and present personality that you might just be enjoying and engaged in and dealing with the moment you're in with your attitude. But there may be something that someone listening could learn as far as a person like you, like yourself. What have you taken from all of this and how does it propel you what I've taken is that it you don't have to be physically present with someone else to be connected with them. Um, because for me, obviously, I'm very outgoing. I, I love being around people. Um, you know, I've started working a couple days a week in the office, you know, practice, safe practices, wearing my mask when I come in and sanitizing and everything. Um, but the challenge for me has been staying connected without that personal interaction. And so we've had, as a society, we've all had to learn these new skills. Um, thank heavens for technology and Zoom and FaceTime so that we are not, I think that some people may feel that we are apart, that we are separate because we are not in physical contact with one another. And so for me, what it's really taught me, I mean, it, of course it challenges your beliefs but then how do you grow if you're not challenging yourself is okay how do i stay connected how and so what has been phenomenal for me is that i have been more in touch 
with more people, friends, family, neighbors, than I was before. Because it's highlighted for us that this has to be a conscious choice, right? You know, you're not going about the, your day-to-day -day life and running into people at the store, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, we need to get together, and then you never get together, right? And so for me, it's really engaged me and inspired me to be more connected and to recognize, you know, it does take a little work, but it's always worth it. That is a beautiful lesson. I can't imagine ending on anything more pure <laughs> of heart and, and pure of mind than that. So Julia, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time. I know how busy that you are with all the things that you're doing and this has just been an honor for me and I always know it's been a good show when I feel more energized and, and just more grateful and thankful after visiting with my guests and that certainly is true today. So thank you for what you do for us. And thank you for what you've given to all these people today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, thank you, Jim, and thank Joe, Dr. Ramos, for creating such an amazing place. I feel like I'm home. I feel like every step I've taken in my life led me here. <laughs> oh, well, awesome. Well, welcome home. I can't wait to see you and get to give you a big hug, okay? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jim. I really appreciate you. You bet. You have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you soon. I will. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.